from before time began. You are on your throne. Could we raise our hands? Oh, let's sing it to him now and right now and right now in the good times and bad. You are on your throne. You are God. You're unchangeable. You're unchangeable. You're unstoppable. You're unstoppable. That's who you are. Let's sing that. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. You are God alone. From before time began. Oh, yes. You are on your throne. Lord, you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. Can you give him a praise offering? Amen. He's worthy of You believe that he's God. And he's God alone. Hallelujah. Amen. I really got to trust that. Amen. And every decision and every, every spot in our life, we've got to come to a place to where we realize the Lord has got it all in control. And he's directing our footsteps. The Bible says the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. That means your first, first step, all the steps in the middle, even your very last step is ordered of the Lord. You believe that God has predestinated and ordained a, a moment in time, a season in your life, every season that you go through. Amen. And I believe that he has a purpose for this service here tonight. Amen. I just come with, uh, amen, I need myself, just needing the Lord just to use me. Amen. The, the, um, the devil is just, I'll just be honest with you, has just fought me uh, all day. And you know, anytime I know that that's happening, I know the Lord is, anytime Satan is going to fight hard, it disproves. If that's any proof of how much of a move of the Holy Spirit the Lord wants to move, amen, let it be proof to us. If the devil's fought you today, if the devil's tried to battle you in your mind, say, Satan, you ain't nothing. You ain't nobody. You don't run my life. You don't control any part of my life. And if there's a hindrance in my life trying to stop me, that only proves God's about to open up the windows of heaven in my life. Amen. And I want him to speak to me. Amen. This evening, we just greet you in the name of the Lord. Amen. It's certainly just a privilege to be here with you. Amen. I appreciate uh, Brother Joe, Brother Donnie. Amen. Just to have the confidence and the invitation for me to come. I really mean this. I count myself as um, at least amongst you and, uh, and really don't feel in any way adequate, uh, quite inadequate actually uh, for the task. Amen. That's before us. But I just trust the Holy Spirit and trust the Lord Jesus with all my heart. I know that if I can surrender myself and if I could get myself out of the way, if, if, if Brother Matt will move out of the way and if you could get out of the way, then as Brother Branham said, the Holy Spirit will have a good time. Amen. And that's what we want. Amen. If you have your Bible, Judges chapter 13, amen. I just want to minister to you tonight. And brothers, uh, if you spend any time getting my, my quotes together, I'm not going to use them tonight. And I hope that's okay. 
If you, if you spend a lot of time, we'll get mad at the Holy Spirit because he just completely changed me. And, uh, and he, does, has a, he makes a habit of doing that sometimes. Get out here ready to minister something. Got your notes prepared, your thoughts prepared. And the Lord says, no, you're not going to preach that tonight. You're going to preach something else. You believe the Holy Spirit still speaks? How many believe that? Believe that the Holy Ghost, Jesus, still speaks. And I believe that he speaks through his word. Amen. I was just hearing Brother Branham say that today. He uses prophets. He uses preachers. He uses mothers. He uses fathers. Amen. You believe God can use anybody to speak to you? All we have to do is be sensitive, sensitive enough and say, Lord, it doesn't matter who the vessel is. Let me recognize the Holy Spirit when it's speaking to my heart. Amen. And I believe the Lord has a, amen, a, 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 if we've got a burden upon our heart, I believe that comes from the Lord Jesus. I want to minister to, minister to you tonight, and I'm going to title this, The Value of the Spirit. The Value of the Spirit. And the children of Israel, verse 1 of Judges 13, did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bore not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite, notice this, unto God from the womb. Now not the moment that he recognizes the calling of God upon his life. Not the moment that he recognizes the, 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 the vision that the Lord has for him. But actually, before he even breathes his first breath, God's already got a blueprint for his entire life. Notice this. Let's keep reading here. Notice, from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. She repeats what the angel said unto her in verse 7. And I want to read it because I want you to notice this here. He says, she's repeating the words. He said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, notice, to the day of his death. Now, it, that means that it, the plan and the purpose of God, it wasn't going to be based upon Samson. It wasn't going to be based upon what Samson did. But God had already purposed a vision for Samson's life. And then he gave Samson free moral agency to recognize the calling that he placed in his life. And it would be up to Samson, not his mom, not his parents, not his pastor, not his youth leader. It was on an individual basis that Samson had to recognize the call of God upon his life. And whether he surrendered to that or not was up to him. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, we're so 
grateful, Lord Jesus. That, Lord, that we can stand here tonight with many needs, Lord. God, you know the needs upon the different individuals that would be here, Lord, gathered. Those that are both here present. Those that are listening maybe on a live stream or maybe by way of archive later. Lord God, I, I couldn't in 60 minutes, Lord, in an hour, even longer than that. It'd be impossible for me, Lord, to even meet 5% of the needs that are in this building. The burdens that people have upon their heart. The questions, Lord God, the different avenues and the different ways. Lord Jesus, but I believe, Lord God, that you can come and multiply the word that you've placed upon my heart. And it could meet every need in this building. I pray, God, that you would grant it to us tonight, Lord. Be with me, the speaker. Be with those, Lord God. I pray, Father, that we would all enter into an atmosphere of worship just now. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you. Life is an array of choices. In fact, the Bible types our life as a journey. I find great comfort in that when I realize that through all of the examples that you could read about in the Bible, you'll find that God deals with men and women in a way of a journey, almost like a novel or a book. And, and there's different chapters, and you could almost say different seasons or different dispensations of people's lives. Now, you recognize that now that no matter what age that you're at, whether you're 10 years old, 15 years old, 20, 25, 30, all the way through this entire building, everybody in this building would be at a different stage of their life, a different spot in their journey, a different, maybe a different circumstance that you're facing here tonight that you didn't face the last time that you gathered here for a special youth meeting, maybe just a few months ago or a few weeks ago. But life is made up in such a way that it's a journey. And at that journey, there's many different crossroads in that journey. Many different junctions. Prophet of God would preach a message called the junction of time. And he would teach us that at each junction or at each spot, there would be something important that would happen. Even type this with Abraham's life, and, 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 and Abraham's life was made up, we, we know, a, of a journey. It starts there in, in the land of Ur, and then he journeys all the way through, and he, there's different spots that he comes to in his life. But Samson's life is made up the very same way. There's, it's an array of choices. Our life is just an array of choices. Some choices are very large that we make. Some decisions that we have to make in our life, and you know, seemingly, sometimes we think the choices that we're facing today are very small. We don't realize sometimes the smallest choices and decisions that we make sometimes have the greatest impact on our life. In fact, most of the time, it's not the great big choices that we stress over and that we get under so much pressure in our life and we're, we're so, uh, you know, so worried that we're going to go wrong and we make a wrong turn uh, or we, we make the wrong decision. Sounds like I just went out. Uh, that's all right. Uh, do we have another? That looks like maybe another microphone, brother. I'll grab one over here. Amen. All right, brother Piano. I'll grab the orange one. Is that okay? Amen. There will be no liars in heaven and there will be no wires in heaven. <laughs> well, this is wireless, brother Matt. Well. So we, we notice this here that Samson's life is made up of choices. In fact, as I was saying, 
Most of the time, the decisions that we stress over and that we fight over and that we struggle over, actually, when you look back, at least in my experience in life, when you look back, you realize, I really, really had nothing to do. Uh, the Holy Spirit was guiding me, though I thought it was me making the choices and making the decisions. God had a plan and the purpose He was working out for my own good, whether I realized it or not. And many times, it's, it's, uh, it's not the large choices, but in fact, most of the time, it's the small choices. Choice in our life is so important. Uh, every decision that we make, both the large ones and the small ones, Ultimately, it's every choice in our life uh, hides a certain consequence or holds a certain consequence in our life. Choices, things that we listen to. I'm going to get real simple here tonight, and I hope that's okay. Things that we listen to. You know, that's your choice. Things that we watch, things that we consume, the things that we choose to entertain ourselves with. You know, as, as teenagers here, you've been given a lot of liberty. You know, when you're given a, a cell phone and when you're given, a, you know, as you grow, you get more freedom in your life and more liberty in your life. But I want you to realize that you have a choice as to the things that you allow to be exposed to or the influence that you, that you come under. Even the choices of friends that you have are your choice. No one forces you to be friends with anybody. And, 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 you know, many times the Bible says good, bad friends corrupt good morals. And we complicate things and we wonder sometimes we get so bothered. Why is everything such a mess in my life? Why do I always struggle with this? Why am I always bothered with this? Why does this temptation always come? Sometimes you don't need to track it to any large, great kind of thing. Sometimes it's just the atmospheres that we surround ourselves with. Right? And so it's, it's the, the things that we watch, uh, the things that we listen to, the things that we allow to come into our gates, the friends that we choose, where we choose to be employed, what church we go to, where we're gonna, what we're going to do for a vocation in life. You're going to realize as you get older, your life is made up of choices. And ultimately, where you end up in five years will only be a result of the decisions, large and small, that you make Every single day of your life. You see, Brother Manning would say God couldn't push us through a pipe and, and, and pull us out on the other side and then say, blessed is he that overcometh. You had nothing to overcome. He just pushed you through it. But you've got to make the decision for yourself. Now, I'm here tonight just to preach to you something very simple because the Holy Spirit just stopped me in the back office before coming out and turned my entire sermon around. And I know that's for a purpose. And let me just go ahead and stop and say, I don't know who you are tonight and what decision you're facing in your life, but let me just say, when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with your heart, I'll say as Brother Branham said, act immediately upon the Word of God. Don't wait to think, oh, when he says this and when he says that. Listen, the Holy Spirit can speak even when you don't expect him to. You, don't, you didn't think you needed to hear what the preacher's saying, but the Holy Spirit has a way of discerning your heart. And so Brother Manham says you've got to make the decision for yourself. In doing that, we show our faith and respect to God. So what we realize is that in the larger, or the larger picture, what we find is that Choice after choice after choice, we find a pattern. 
And you could always watch someone's life of where they've ended up in their life. And I could think of many examples I could give here tonight. One that comes to mind right away is Legion in the Bible. And it's so incredible to me when I look at this man, Legion, and, I've, and you, you ask yourself a question, how does a person end up with 2,000 demon spirits? How does a person, you could ask the same question here today when you look at a man on the side of the street, he ain't got a job, his life is busted, he's broke, he's on the side of the road, he's got a sign held up begging for money, he's on drugs, you can tell from just looking at him, no, 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 you know, no, no, uh, all kinds of substance abuse and different things. And oftentimes I, I look at those people and I think to myself, what, what was your journey? What happened in your life? How I see where you're at now, but how did you end up where you're at? And ultimately, what the devil will do is the devil will make you blame this, blame this person, blame that thing that happened, blame your brother, blame your sister, blame your family, blame your pastor, blame some friend, blame somebody. But friends, I'm just going to go in and say it. The choice is yours. How does he get to the place to where he has 2,000 demon spirits? And the prophet of God tells us he was a man who loved his family, just been married, had a wife, had children. But he got around the wrong friends, under the wrong influences. Didn't think he'd ever end up that way. I promise you, when he's in the graveyard cutting himself, he never, he never would have imagined he could have gotten to such a place. The prophet of God said maybe something in his life, maybe a temper, maybe something that he didn't, he didn't sub bring subject to the Holy Ghost. And you say, Brother Matt, how does a person get to a place to where they have 2,000 demon spirits? I'm going to tell you how. One choice after the next choice after the next choice. After the next choice. And we find that the prophet of God would say this. It's not an easy thing to go to hell. In fact, the brother Branham said that God, what did God do? He would send a prophet. And what would that prophet, that speaking of a ministry, he said it was there to block them from going to hell. Do you realize that every sermon that's preached, it's God blocking you from going to hell? Thank God for His grace. Let me go further. Every prayer that your mother has prayed for you is just grace trying to block you from going to hell. Every sermon that you hear is a message of grace. Hallelujah. And so we notice that this life, His life starts off under a promise, under an anointing. But you notice in Samson's life very much like ours you notice a pattern, or I could say a trajectory, like a bullet. You could study ballistics in a bullet and notice how that after so at a certain speed at, at the muzzle, it's going to be this fast, and it's going to have this much energy, but then after 100 yards, uh, it's going to lose some of that energy. It's, the bullet's going to drop just a little bit. It's like a trajectory, something that you watch, and what you notice after choice, after choice, after choice, most of the time small ones, what you notice in Samson's life is a pattern or a trajectory going downward. 
And you notice this here that uh, Samson learns this, and we learn this in the Bible in, in Judges chapter 13. God anoints his life. And you know, an anointing is a very powerful thing. And I'm not even talking about an anointing to preach. That's a, that's, that's a real thing, an anointing. You know, as, as Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the, 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 the gospel. But let me say this. An anointing comes upon your life to equip you for the purpose God has placed in your life. And so God anoints every life for the purpose that he placed in your life. And it will be the devil's job to keep you out of that anointing and into an anointing of destruction. And so Samson, let me say this, uh, was, was, was given an anointing upon his life. He, he, he was going to be a deliverer. The Bible says a savior. And that word savior is not like the savior uh, uh, G, we would call Jesus our savior. But actually this word judge means savior. It means deliverer. One who would deliver. This was the purpose of his life. This is why God called him. To be a deliverer. To be a savior. To begin to save or deliver the children of Israel from out of the hand of the Philistines. But Samson's life is very different than ours. He's not filled, we know, by, uh, by the baptism of the Holy Ghost like we're filled. Uh, you know, but filled with the Spirit. Let me just give you some of this. And I'm just going to slow down here just for a moment to lay some of this in. Actually, this word is ruach. It means the breath of God. That's literally what it means. It's the wind of God or the Spirit of God. In Genesis 6, it calls it the breath of life. In Genesis 8, it refers to it and it says, The wind of God went over the, the face of the waters. Uh, and so this, this ruach is the breath of God. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of life. And so God would take a man like Samson and he would literally breathe the breath into Samson's life and that breath would become the enabler for Samson to do supernatural things. But when you remove the breath from Samson, he was like any other man. That's what Brother Branham said. When you remove the anointing of his life, he was like any other man. And so Moses states this and says, God gives breath, ruach, to all living things. Job picks this up and says, as long as I have breath within my nostrils, that's Job 27. And so he uses this scripture, he uses this word ruach. And so this was the wind, this was the breath, this was the anointing, this was the enabler. This is what enabled Samson to do some of the miraculous things in his life. This is what we would call the spirit upon the vessel. Now, not inside the vessel, as you're filled with the Holy Ghost. We know the Bible very clear that, that before, prior, as John 7 speaks of it and says, Now he that believeth on me shall out of his belly flow rivers of living water. For he spoke of the Spirit which had not yet been given. You say, then what did Samson have? He had the Spirit but not dwelling in his soul. So he would, he would come upon his flesh. Notice this, there's a very big difference as when the Holy Ghost moves upon your flesh and when he lives in your soul. You see, you, that's why Brother Manham says you never look at experiences for a measuring line. Because some people can do some mighty, mighty works before God. An anointing came upon his life, but that didn't mean that Samson's heart was ever changed. 
And so throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would breathe upon people. You find this in Daniel. You find this in Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You find this in Samson. You find this in Saint. These people did these mighty exploits before God. And it was God breathing upon their life. I'm going to take just a minute with this. It was God breathing. His invisible power would enable them to do things that they otherwise would not have been able to do. It allowed them to be what they otherwise would not have been able to be. Come on, somebody. It allowed them to say, a prophet, to say what he otherwise uh, would not have been able to say. What do you think the Holy Ghost puts in your life? It allows you to be what you otherwise would not have been. It allows you to do what you otherwise could not have done. It allows you to say what you otherwise would not have said. Listen, friends, it has nothing to do with you. It is the breath or the ruach or the spirit of the living God that enables you to do anything for God. And so God, gave, God would give Samson a power to kill lions. He'd carry gates 20 miles with these gates weighing thousands of pounds. And think about this. He could do that with just the breath. Notice this. Even, even David, uh, all of Israel's leaders uh, were, were uh, very ordinary men, shepherds. Moses was a man who couldn't even speak. He stuttered, the Bible says. But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, it enabled him to fulfill the purpose that God put in his life. Let me just preach to you and say, you can try, you can push, you can pull, but until you've got the true baptism of the Holy Ghost inside of your soul, you'll fall short, you'll fall flat, you'll fall on your face. Until you get the true baptism of the Holy Ghost, you'll never receive the enabling power to fulfill the work that God has placed inside of every single one of your lives here tonight. Listen, friends, God doesn't just call the preacher. He doesn't just call the deacon. He doesn't just call the musicians. Let me go further and say every single person that's under the sound of my voice has an anointing or a placing or a calling or a ministry inside of their life. God has purposed your life for a reason. He saves you for a reason. As the prophet of God said, when he gave me the Holy Ghost, he didn't give it for me for no reason. It was a purpose. He's put a gift inside of your life ready to be expressed. An anointing or a power that comes over uh, over him. Now listen to this as we go just a little bit further. As we know that Samson's life was anointed. This is so powerful to me. It was anointed with the Spirit of God. And notice all the way from his birth. In other words, before he's ever born before he ever surrenders, before he ever thinks anything, before he ever does anything. God, before he ever came into the world, already had an architectural set of blueprints for Samson's entire life. Do you realize that God has already charted your entire course? He's not randomly making it up. Listen, friends, God is not just randomly up there in heaven you know, uh, writing our lives. Well, he did this, so I guess I got to go to plan B. And then they did this, so I guess I got to go to plan. I guess what I'll do is I'll move them here, and I'll bring this. No, nope, they didn't listen to that. I got to, listen, friends, before you ever breathe your first breath, God has already planned your life. He's already blueprinted it. Let me go further and say that means that everything you go through, he already seen it. 
every trial and every circumstance and every problem, every challenge that you face, God doesn't take that by surprise. He already orchestrated it and he equipped you for the job. And he never gets stressed. He never gets worried. He never gets troubled. That ought to make you happy here tonight. God doesn't fret and, and worry over the things that you fret and worry over. We get so worried, and, and all of us here, we can all say, we, you know, you could, I, I feel anxiety in my life. I feel, I feel, you know, sometimes why you have, you know where anxiety comes from? The unknown. That's why the world is filled with fear. Because they have no revelation of the word. But when you have a revelation of not just the beginning, but also the end, it removes all fear. You see, where does anxiety come from in your life? It comes from not knowing. It comes from the unknown. What will happen? What if? What if this happens? Do you realize God doesn't ever experience anxiety? (laughs) Our Heavenly Father never experiences anxiety because as the prophet said, He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every circumstance. He knows every war. He knew about every problem that would happen in Israel. Listen, none of this thing that's happening has ever taken God by surprise. In fact, it's all moving just exactly, orchestrated exactly on God's timing piece under his great clock. None of it's caught God by surprise. He never gets stressed. He never gets worried. He never's bothered. In fact, for God, it's like watching a rerun. You ever seen something, but you've already seen it before? It always amazes me. I walked into a restaurant one time, and boy, I thought there was some kind of, I didn't know what was going on. I thought it must have been, you know, some shooting or some kind of great thing. I walk walk into the the restaurant, and I'm there just to pick up some food, and it's just dead quiet, dead silent, nobody making a sound, nobody's even moving. And I realize everybody's got their attention fixed on these television screens because there's some great football game. I think it was actually... Uh, Tennessee playing somebody. It was. It was Tennessee playing one of their big rivals. Uh-oh, be careful, Brother Matt. Don't worry, I will. But, but it was Tennessee playing. And I realized, man, this entire place, they are so mesmerized by this football game. And you could, I watched them as I was there waiting for my food. And boy, you would have thought the play, that a bomb went off when I guess Tennessee or whoever they were pulling for must have scored because the place, you could feel, almost feel the building shaking. But then I watched some of them, as a few of them just walked out of there. I can't even watch. I don't even want to watch it. I'm thinking, my goodness, at the most stressful parts when your team is on the goal line, you're about to score, some of them couldn't even watch it. You ever know, y'all, y'all don't know anybody like that, do you? He's a bunch of weirdos at this place. Brother Matt, don't know where you were. They were all weirdos. They couldn't even be in the room. Think about it. Here their team was on the goal line, about to score just a few yards away, and they were sweating bullets. They were anxiety, filled with anxiety, uh, so much fear. They just got up and walked up. I don't even want to tell me. Don't even tell me. I don't even want to, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. You know when they could come back in? After the team won. Then they're back in there and they're shouting and they're rejoicing. Thank God, thank God. Yeah, probably what they were saying is thank God. Some of most of them thank God for the football team winning. <laughs> and I watched them, I couldn't believe it. And I thought to myself, you know, it's so incredible because isn't that exactly how we are in our own lives? 
to where Satan will make us so fearful and have so much anxiety that we can't even watch, we don't want to think about it, and sometimes if we'd be honest, we just check out. Hello, somebody. We just check out of the big decisions, the big things. I can't even watch. I don't even, don't even tell me. And we get so stressed and so worried and so anxious. But you ever watch and watch a game of a? You ever watch the rerun of a of a game that you know your team already won? They watch that completely different. Guess what? They watch that rerun completely different. There's no stress. There's no worry. There's no atmosphere of tension. In fact, they're just eating popcorn the entire time. Watch this part. But your team just fumbled the ball. Oh, that's okay because I know after they fumble it, we score the touchdown anyway. And in the end, we win. Oh, friends, I I think if we'd ever get a revelation that the story's already been written, your life is already a victor. You'd go through your life with less stress and less worry. You'd say, it doesn't matter if I fumble. It doesn't matter if I, if I fall down. I'll get back up again because I've already seen my name in the back of the book. And the Bible says I've already won in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You love him? Can we go a little bit further? And so notice it was a life that was anointed. His life, his purpose had already been called. He had already been placed. His trip, his course had already been charted. It was amazing because he's an anointed vessel. That means he's a consecrated vessel. It was something he was born with. This Nazarite vow meant the vow of consecration. Look it up in Schofield. has some really good notes on it in your Bible. If you have a Schofield about the crown of consecration. And how that, 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 that he, he took this consecration unto God because he took his calling very serious. He took the, the anointing that God had placed upon his life. He took it very serious in his life. It meant something to him. I'm preaching to you on the value of the Spirit. Because he valued it. He knew that apart from the Spirit, he was like any other man. Brother Branham would go further and say, you notice with Israel, if you remove the angel of the Lord, they were just like any other nation. What made them special was not anything about themselves. It wasn't their makeup. It wasn't their stature. It wasn't how tall, how many armies they had, how many tanks, how how strong and powerful they were. What made Israel special was that God loved them. And when you remove that, when you remove the enabling force, they were just like any other nation. Samson was born as a Nazarite unto God. And God had used him. I'm going to get off of his life here just for a moment. But God had used him for many victories. We could read about them. God visits this man Manoah and his wife and says, You're barren. It's a type of Israel. uh, But I'm 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 going to bring life. I'm going to send a deliverer through your barrenness. Uh, You'll conceive a son. And he tells her, Don't drink anything. Don't eat any unclean thing. Because he's going to be a deliverer. In other words, I've built him for a purpose. I've constructed him in a certain way. I've, ma- I've made him, given him a certain uh, personality and a certain, a certain kind of life for my purposes and my goal and my vision. Listen, friends, when God gives a gift, he doesn't give it for the person he gives it to. Amen. When God places a gift in your life, 
It is a selfish thing to hold that gift back because it was never sent for you in the first place. And so notice this here. He's God has, God has, God has anointed his life. He's going to be a deliverer. He's, he's, God says, I've, I've, as we've already preached, I've blueprinted this. I've, I've laid the path out for him. I've charted the course, Samson. What a mighty thing. An anointing, a calling, a blueprint from God, a special gift. Then what was the problem, Brother Matt? What was the one ingredient that was going to stymie the entire thing? Free moral agency. The ability to make a choice. And notice what's so amazing is God doesn't take that from Samson. Do you think, God, well, you want to accomplish your purpose in my life. You've got a vision. You've got a plan. Then don't, 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 let me just take my hands off the wheel, Lord. Let me just have no part with it. God says, no, 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 I can't do it like that. You see, as Brother Branham said, if he just pulled you through a pipe, there would be nothing to overcome. But he's placed the decision before you. He's placed, he's placed the challenge for you. Friends, it's got to be your choice. Choose wisely. Because one is a choice that will lead to life. And one is a choice that will lead to death. One is a choice that leads to blessing, and one is a choice that leads to cursing. It'll go either way. It's up to you. It's, it was his choice. As, Samson, as, as Jeremiah, I think chapter 29 says, For I know the plans. For I know the thoughts. What are those thoughts? Those are the plans. Uh, that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of destruction, harm, addiction. Hello, somebody. Depression, you think that's part of your blueprint? It's not. It's something the devil has given you a detour in your life and taken you off of the course and the plan for your life. God never anointed your life with depression or fear or worry or anxiety. He's only put victory and hope and joy and strength in your life. But you got to stay on the path God has called you to. And you know, friends, sometimes... Let me just say, sometimes the detours Satan puts in our life are not some horrible, heinous terror. Listen, friends, God, Satan knows if you're really sealed by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he can't get you. So what's he going to do? He can't change your eternal destination. So he'll try to destroy your human life here. He'll keep you from gifts. He'll keep you from things that God's placed, good things in your life. As I heard a man say something so profound, he said, where's the greatest treasures buried at in the earth? The greatest treasures buried in the earth. Where could you dig them up? Where could you find the greatest treasure in the earth? He said, well, in a, in a mine, somewhere in a mountain in Africa, and there's diamonds. On, nope, nope, that's not the greatest. Some oil field, somewhere waiting to be discovered, and they're going to dig down deep enough. That's where the greatest treasures are buried. No, 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 no. He said, actually, the greatest treasures, you want to know where they're at? Just go to the local cemetery. Because buried in the graveyard is gifts, anointings, potential that God has placed in lives. And not because of God, not because God didn't equip, not because God didn't call, but because of fear of failure. 
Those gifts have now been buried in the ground. Samson, what wasted potential. Hope it, Brother Matt, don't you know his story? I know his story. Thank God we rejoice over it. We know God just has a perfect plan for everything. But I'm here to tell you, he was kept from the best of the life that God had for him to live. Because why, Brother Matt? Because of a bad story. No, it all came down to his choice. Because of fear of looking foolish. Most of the time, that's what keeps people from the greatest God has for them. The fear of failure, the fear of looking foolish, the fear of what if I make a mistake, the fear of what if I mess up. And those, that, that kind of fear will hold back or, 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 or keep you. I know I'm preaching. I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I know the Lord is preaching to somebody here tonight. It'll keep you back. And so, so God says, notice this here. He says, and so you notice, let me just get to my notes here. What we find is that even though God had a plan, had a blueprint, had an anointing, but man is made up of memories. And conscience, reasonings, imaginations, affections, five senses of the spirit, five senses of the body. And all of these things, Satan, Brother Branham said, will use them if you don't clean them out. He'll use them to clog up the channels. And he'll use a complex, he'll use bitterness, he'll use a grudge, he'll use an attitude. Listen, friends, I was hearing the prophet say it last night. That temper is poison to the Holy Ghost. I said that temper, when you fly off the handle, it's poison to the Holy Ghost. He'd say backbiting is sulfuric acid in the church. They clog up the channels. And so notice this here, oh my goodness, what a... What a, what, a, what, what a cost, Samson. Did you realize something that might have seemed so small? You say, how did it start, Brother Matt? One bad decision after the next bad decision after the next bad decision. He sees a girl, not of the daughters of the Israelites, but of the Philistine. Mistake numero uno. He takes a girl out of church and says, you know what? I, 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 I think I could persuade her in. I, you know, I think, I think I could, I think, you know, Mom, I like her. She looks good. Dad, get her. That's what the Bible says Samson actually did. Don't you ever dare try that on your parents. She pleaseth me well. But Samson, Samson, is there not a daughter amongst your own people? How could a person get to such a place in their life where they think God has no one for them locally. So they got to go outside of the message. Now, come on, somebody, help me here. They got to go outside of them. Well, she's a good girl. Well, she's a good Southern Baptist. Well, you know, she, uh, I believe I could persuade her. I, I believe that she'd see this thing. Listen, friends, I'm going to say, like Brother Burley Williams said if someone can persuade you with a hot dog, someone can persuade you out with a hamburger. <laughs> in other words, if you could be persuaded in, Someone will persuade you out with something better. It can't be based upon persuasion. I said it can't be based upon persuasion. It can't be based upon pressure. It's got to be based upon one thing, the Word. Hallelujah. 
You say, well, I'm praying. I'm praying. God, is it your will? Let me tell you, you don't even have to pray that prayer. You listen, friends, do you realize sometimes we complicate the will of God? If it's outside of the word, you don't even need to pray. Because the answer's already there. Oh, get her for me to wife. For she pleases me well. Samson, is there not a girl in our church? Is there not a girl? Is there no one amongst the daughters of our people that you've got to go into the daughters of the Philistines? You see, the problem was is that all Samson seen was mom. I said the problem was all Samson seen was mom. And little did he know it wasn't just mom. It was actually an angel of mercy anointing his mother as a roadblock. But all he seen was mom. Dad, you just, that's just the way you were raised. And the old-fashioned a little bit. I, we live in a different world. That's just, I know that's the way you did it. I know that's the way your dad did it. But listen, the world's changed. And, and, you know, the world's gotten to a different place. You don't grow up in the world that I grew up. Listen, friends, I don't doubt that. You don't, I don't grow up in the, you're not growing up in the world I grew up in. Let me tell you something. There's something that's unchanging, and that's the Word of God. There's something that never changes, and that's the principles of the Word of God. Oh, mom, it's just you being mom. Little did Samson know it was a roadblock to say, stop, turn around, go the other way. Do not enter. Flashing light. Do not enter. Wrong way. Turn around. Stop. Danger. How many times does God put roadblocks and warning signs in our life? How many people would get in your car going down a road and just bust through barricades? Bust through barricade. Turn around. Do not enter. Turn around. Danger. Road closed. Bridge broke. And you just go right through them. Yeah, man, you just keep going. Big deal. It's just a barrier. I'll just blow right through it. Sandbags flying everywhere. Orange barrels going everywhere. It doesn't matter. I'm just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the roadblock says. I'm just going to keep driving. Say, Boy, Brother Matt, no one would ever do that. But how many people do that to the Holy Spirit? When he's put roadblock and roadblock and roadblock, do not enter, turn around, go the other way. Your mom's praying, your dad's praying, your pastor's counting, but still we keep going. The cost of a choice. He takes this Nazarite vow, it's, a vow to stay away from dead things spiritually is a Nazarite. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. Jesus was a Nazarite. This was, this was a special vow. Judges 14. Let's pick it up here. Uh, and, and Judges actually 16. Look there quickly if you could. Uh, just, just quickly if you can. Judges chapter 16. Notice he gets to this place. He sees a woman. Uh, the Bible says he went down to, uh, Samson went to Gaza, saw a harlot, went in unto her and was told the gates that Samson has come hither. They could pass him and laid wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all the night, saying in the morning, when in this day we shall kill him. Samson laid till midnight, rose at midnight, took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them. Now, you'd think after this victory, after he's already made a mistake, he's already went the wrong way, he's messed up. And then God comes on the scene, anoints his life, he rips the gates. And there's a great victory thing. Surely that was it. Surely that was it. That was going to seal the deal in Brother Samson. 
He's going to turn his life around. He's finally going to surrender. I mean, come on. After God did so much for him, surely he's not going to go right back. The Bible says in verse 4, we don't know how long time elapsed. But it says, it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the Lord of the Philistines came unto her and said, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth. What by what means we may prevail against him that we may bind him to afflict him. Let me give you the blueprint of the devil. Let me expose his plan. He's got one purpose, to bind you and to afflict you. He wants to bind you. He wants to block it. He, he wants to get you so bound up by spirits. Like a spirit of a python, as we've preached here before. That spirit of the python has no power, has no venom. He can't bite and, and hurt you with his venom. So what does he do? He wraps himself around his victim. And every time the person breathes in, just a little, he cinches up just a little bit more. And then they breathe in just a little bit. And then he cinches a little bit more. This is exactly what the devil does to so many people. And they never get freedom and they never get deliverance and they keep going the wrong way. And they think, I'll be okay. I'll be all right. I can make it. I got this. I can handle this. You know, just one little click. One click here. Well, there's a reason it's called the World Wide Web. Because it wraps you. And it wraps you, and it spins you, and it spins you. And then something you thought you had under control. And every time he breathes in, he squeezes. <gasps> Before you know it, they sound like this. <gasps> They're wheezing. <gasps> Spiritually, they look different. Something's changed. What's happened? Where's your joy? <gasps> I still love the Lord. <gasps> It's going to be okay. I'm predestinated. Mama's praying. Daddy's praying. And then he cinches. Raise your hands. And there's no joy. And there's no freedom. And there's no liberty. Oh, friends. If Satan has one plan for you, it's to wrap you and to pull you and to weave you. But God says, I got a power to break the grip of that python out of your life. I don't care what your addiction is. I don't care what bothers you. I don't care what your vice is. There's freedom. Can I just preach and say, there's freedom in Jesus. I don't care what the power of the devil has put on your life. If it's depression, if it's anxiety, if it's pornography, if it's fear, if it, I don't care what it is today. God has the power to break the grip of the enemy off of your life. He goes further and further. One decision after the next, after the next, after the next. Can we go just a little bit further? It's 830. He continues to go down the wrong course. And eventually we know his story. The carnage that follows his choices. Even just so much murder. He marries the first girl and her family ends up dead. The brothers end up dead. I mean, it's just like carnage. One bad choice after the next bad choice after the next bad choice. 
Much like Jacob, we could preach here. It's amazing when you study the life of Jacob after God anoints him. He anoints a rock. Sees a vision from the Lord. The angels of God ascending and ascending. And God says, God, God gives him a, a dream. And, and he, says, say, he says, I want you to, let's just read it here. Can we read it? I want, I want you to look at it with me in, in the book of Genesis. Look quickly if you could. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 28. I, I'm just going to take just a few minutes on this. And then we got something I, I want to close with. Notice this here in Genesis chapter 28. And, and, and if you have that, you can display that uh, on the screen. Uh, or if not, we'll just read it straight from my Bibles. Notice this here in Genesis chapter 28. And this is a powerful thing because here Jacob is going to have a dream. And, and God tells him, look at it in Genesis chapter 28. And let's just begin reading here at, 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 at verse uh, 12. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, top, top of a reach to heaven. And behold, the angel of God ascended and descending. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, the God of Isaac, and the land wherein thou liest. To thee will I give it. And to thy seed. Here's a promise from God. You say, Brother Matt, what else do you need than a pro- than other than a promise? Let's just go a little bit further. And he says, to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Notice this promise in verse 15. And behold... Hi, this is a powerful thing, Jacob. I, God, Jehovah, am with you. I'm with you. In other words, I'm not here to leave. I'm here to stay. I'm here over your life. I've got a plan over your life. I'm with you in those decisions. I'm with you, with you in those choices. Jacob, don't forget me. Don't forget me. I'm here, Jacob. Notice. He says, and I behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all the places. All the decisions, all the left turns, all the right turns, all the U-turns. And every spot of your life, I'm going to bring you to Jacob. There's going to be left turns, right turns, curves. There's going to be all kinds of decisions and junctions and crossroads you're going to go through in your life, Jacob, but I want you to remember something. I've placed an anointing upon your life. I've placed a promise in your life. And no matter where you go, I'll be right by your side. And he says, I'm with you. I will bring thee again into this land. For, notice he emphasizes it, for I, verse 15, will not leave you. God, what if Jacob turns around and you tell him to go straight and he goes left? Then that means I'm going left. But God is not your perfect plan. It's not the plan you've predestinated. But I made a promise. I made a promise. I won't leave you. I'm with you, Jacob. I want you to realize how powerful when God sets a purpose and a promise in your life, friends. I want you to realize how powerful it is. I don't care how distant and how far away and how unaligned you are with the promise of God. God has never forsaken you. He's never left you. He's never turned his back on you. The Bible says it this way. Though we become unfaithful, he remaineth faithful. Because Jacob, you're going to go a lot of places. God never told you to go. 
You're going to go a lot and make a lot of decisions. God has never called you to, but I want you to remember. Notice, let's read it together, verse 15. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. What an amazing thing. God joins himself to this man. He joins himself to Jacob, a very disobedient child. Though he had a promise, though he had a vision, God had purposed his life. And at Bethel, God supernaturally showed him a dream. Hey, my, his course is set, man. He's got all the potential in the world. You're right. But just read the next chapter and the next decision. And you think, what's happened? What's happened, Jacob? Where are you going? What are you doing? What are you thinking? God, but God joins himself. And he says, I'm with you. I'll keep thee in all the places where thou goest. He joins himself and makes a pledge. Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. He was afraid. And he said, there's none other but the house of God and the gate of heaven. And you say, Brother Matt, what happens after that? 20 long years of trials, sorrows. It didn't have to be that way. But 20 long years, disobedience follows Jacob's life. And he goes the wrong way. And he keeps going the wrong way. You say, Brother Matt, what's God going to do? Notice this here. Genesis 31, verse 13. Turn there quickly. 20 years. But yet you say, Brother Matt, where was God in all of those 20 years that Jacob was being disobedient, running from God? God was right beside him. Right where he said he would be. God was with him the entire time. You say, Brother Matt, but he came cold. Yep. Backslidden. Yeah. Lustful. Yeah, I know. In fact, he wasn't a good man at all. You see, it's not always the good men that God calls. In fact, it was Esau who was a better man. But it had nothing to do with good works or good looks or good people or good things. It had one thing, election. Listen, friends, there's a lot of people that are a lot better than me, a lot better than you, but God has chosen you and said, you're my peculiar treasure. You're my chosen priesthood, and my grace is upon you. It doesn't matter where you go. I'm going to keep a promise upon your life. 20 years pass, and God, Jacob's backslidden lustful. And God appears to Jacob in verse 30, for chapter 31, verse 13. And here's God saying, oh, this is so powerful. I am the God of Bethel. In other words, I'm not the God of your backsliddenness. I'm not the God of your cold lukewarmness. I'm not the God of that bad relationship. I'm not the God of the addiction of those things. I'm not the God when you get on social media and you look at the wrong things and on your phone. And listen, I'm not that God. I'm the God of Bethel. Where thou anointest the pillar where thou vowed a vow unto me. Now arise. This is the words to the grace of Jacob. You're backslidden, you're cold, you're lustful. But get up, Jacob. 
Get out of this land and return into the land of thy kindred. You say, well, what does that mean, Brother Matt? Surely Jacob got up and said, forgive me, Lord. And he stumbled back to Bethel. No, Jacob, where are you going? Jacob, no. No, Bethel's that way. Shechem's that way. What are you doing? He goes the opposite way that God tells him. He goes to Shechem. God never told him to go to Shechem. It's amazing how many times we say, God led me. Well, I feel led. But it's against the word, but I feel led. Well, sometimes you wonder if people ate led. More than felt led. It's going to take you out of Wednesday night church, but I feel led. It's going to take you out of Sunday, but I'll still be there every other Sunday. You see, God will never give you leadership that leads you away from this word. I said, God will never give you leadership, no matter if you said, a, God, I don't doubt someone told you, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Shechem, God never called you to go there. In fact, if you look up the name Shechem, you know what it means? A place of burdens. God never calls you to a place of burdens. He calls you to a place to lift your burdens. But he goes to Shechem, a place of burdens. And he gets into all kinds of trouble. His house is dishonored. His daughters are defiled. We won't take the time to read some of it. You can read it for yourself. And then God appears to him again. It's amazing to me because had we been there, had I been there, I'll just put myself there if, you ain't, if you're too afraid to be honest. I would have looked at Jacob as I would have looked at my son. And I would have said, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, honestly, if we would be God sometimes, I'm afraid we'd have given up on ourselves a long time ago. And if we wouldn't give up on ourselves, we'd have given up on a lot of other people. I'm so glad it wasn't up to you. It was up to God. And God said, notice here, you would have said, Jacob, my goodness, you're disobedient, lustful, backslidden. I mean, my goodness, Jacob, you're just a failure. When are you ever going to line up? When are you ever going to shake up, Jacob? God has given you chance after chance. He's came to you, just like Samson. He's came to you in your life. He's wooed you. He's called you. What's your problem? Don't you feel ashamed of yourself? How differently God handles his children than how sometimes we handle our own. In fact, God never mentions a single word about his decision to go to Shechem. He never says anything about the murder, about the rape, about any of it. No guilt trip, in other words. No, you wretched failure. You wretched failure. Look at the mess you've made. Look at the horrible mess you've made, Jacob. Let's look at it at Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. God says to Jacob, oh, I love this, Genesis 35. You got to say amen. Notice this here. This is God's words to Jacob. God said unto him, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. You mean, God, you're not going to say one thing about what he did? 
God, don't you know? Look at his family. Look at it. God, come on. you got to say something. Friends, it's amazing sometimes. It always never ceases to amaze me how quickly people can fail to have grace on others and forget how much grace God had for them. God has given us so much grace, we ought to be able to give it to somebody else. I said, I don't care how lost, I don't care how messed up, I don't care how bad the situations look. Don't you ever give up on anybody. While there's breath in the body, there is hope. You say, what was God going to say to to Jacob? What was he going to tell him when he got him there? He was going to say, Jacob, how dare you? Here you are again. I mean, come on. You've been to youth meeting and youth camp after. How many youth camps have you been to this year anyway? And you're coming with the same request, the same problem, the same issue? I mean, come on. You didn't believe me the first time? You didn't believe me the second time? You didn't believe me the third time? You didn't accept it the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time? And you're here again. You know what? You know what, Jacob? Just forget the whole thing. Just forget I ever even said anything. Just forget I ever even told you. Just forever, ever forget I even called you. You know what, friends? I'm so glad that's not what my Bible says. You say, what does God do then, Brother Matt? He just keeps preaching, and he keeps preaching, and he keeps telling, and he keeps encouraging, and he keeps lifting him up. You say, Brother Matt, when's God going to give up on me? He ain't going to give up on you. He ain't going to give up on your mama, on your daddy, on your brother, on your sister, on your family. You say, how much more will he preach to me until you can accept the word for yourself? He'll just keep preaching and keep pressing and he'll keep pouring it on you. I say, Lord, I might have failed you many times, but I got one request. Pour it out, Lord. Keep pouring out your grace upon my life. He never gives up on him. Oh, I'm so glad that's my kind of father. Listen, friends, there are no outcasts in God's kingdom. I said there are no outcasts in God's kingdom. You might have kicked a lot of people out, but God won't kick anybody out. There are no orphans. There are no strangers. There's only children of the kingdom. And all are welcome at his table. Say, what about the doubter, Brother Matt? What about those that always question? You know, I got one for you. You know, Brother Thomas? Thomas was a doubter in the Bible. Didn't believe, couldn't believe. He said, unless I see physical proof, I'm not going to believe. Come on, Thomas. He's risen. He's risen. There's the disciples getting excited. Jubilee. Come on. He's risen, Thomas. Thomas said, don't even start. Don't even start down y'all's holy roller stuff. Don't even start. Y'all just getting excited. You're just getting worked up. Unless I see physical proof, I'm not going to believe. You know what Jesus does, Brother Joe? The Bible doesn't say Jesus walks in and he's over there hugging Peter and hugging all of them and then he looks over. Who invited Thomas? Who invited you here? You doubter. Oh no, that's what we do to a lot of people. You know what my heavenly father does? My heavenly father reaches out his hands and says, go ahead, Thomas. Is this what you need? Go ahead, touch him, Thomas. Is this what you need to believe? You know, let me give you the words of Brother Branham. God will meet you at whatever level of faith that you have. I said, God will meet you even no matter how small, no matter how minuscule, God will condense sin and come down to anybody's level here tonight. All you got to do is reach out and say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. 
God says, get up, Jacob. Get up. Go to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee. When thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother, and Jacob said unto his household, I love this. Let's read it together. Verse 2. And all that were with him put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go to Bethel and I will make an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. I'm so glad God never turned his back. On Jacob, because that means he's never going to turn his back on me. And friends, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I have failed the Lord more times than I'd be willing to admit to you. And I believe if we'd all be honest, we failed the Lord more times than we're willing to admit. Can I close here tonight just for a minute? Can you give me just a few more minutes? I'm so glad the Lord didn't turn his back on me. I'm so glad he didn't turn away from me. But in grace, he kept knocking on my door. Do you know that Brother Branham said that he's only obligated to knock one time? Once. I'm so glad he didn't stop with once. Say, Brother Matt, how many times? He kept knocking, and he kept knocking. And I kept running, and I kept going, and I kept running. But he just stood there patiently knocking on my heart's door. I wonder where you're at in your life tonight and where your course and where your trajectory is taking you. I wonder where tonight, with just the surrender, listen, friends, it's not, as I said, God's not looking for the big, great, grandiose things that we want to give him. He's just looking for a submitted heart. One that will submit and say, Lord, I believe you've got a perfect plan for my life. And tonight, I want to step off of my plan and I want to step onto your plan. I want my choices to be in harmony with the Holy Spirit in my life. I want my decisions, Lord, to be in unity with the Father, to be in unity with the purpose that God has. Lord, make me sensitive to those decisions in my life that I know that I've got to make that might be hard. Lord, give me the courage to make decisions that can be difficult. Friends, sometimes it's difficult to walk away from the wrong people that are influencing you the wrong way. Sometimes some of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is to walk alone all by yourself. Sometimes God will put you through things in your life and you say, God, why? Why would I have to make this choice? Why would I have to make this decision? It's going to cost me. Couldn't I just just take this little detour? And many times we take a little detour. Something that's not completely against what God has said, but not exactly what God has said. Could you bow your head with me here tonight? Musicians, could you come?
Jacob gets all finally responds. Finally. Finally, he responds. The Bible says he gets all of his idols, gathers up his family, and goes back to Bethel. I want you to notice something, though. God didn't join him at Bethel. God, joined, God didn't join him when he went back to Bethel. God was with him everywhere he went. You say, Brother Matt, I feel so distant from the Holy Ghost. I feel so distant. I've made so many turns, left turns, right turns. In fact, if I'd be honest here tonight, I, in my life, I'm lost. I've lost my way. I don't know how to get back. I forgot all the turns I made. And in my life, I've, I've made so many decisions now. I feel they're irreversible in my life, and I feel so distant and so far. I just want to get back to God. Friend, let me give you some courage tonight. God's not far away. In fact, He's right beside you right now. Brother Branham deals with a sister in the prayer line. She said, Brother Branham, my life is so, so turned around, so messed up. I just want to get back to God. And she's weeping and crying. And Brother Branham's trying to calm her. She says, Sister, you want the Holy, you want, you want to get back to God. You repented of your sin. She's, I just want to get the, I just want to get back to the Holy Spirit. I, I feel so distant. I feel so far away. Huh. You listen to it on tape. And Brother Branham says, Sister, do you, do, do you, are you saying you want to come back to God? Yes, Brother Branham. You know what Brother Branham says? You're back. You're back. Not some build-up. Not some great fiat. Not some great grand finale. You're back. You got a heart and you got something inside of your heart that says, Lord, I want to return. I want to be restored. I want to be whole. I want to be healed of everything in my life, Lord. I want to be back in fellowship and in harmony. Why don't you just raise a hand and stand to your feet and say, Lord, I want to come back to Bethel tonight. I want to come back to the place of the altar where I first made a vow unto God. Where I anointed the pillar with oil. I want to come back. I want to come back, Lord Jesus. Lord God, Father, I, I trust completely, Lord, in your divine wisdom. God, I don't know the lives that I'm speaking to, many of them, Lord. I don't know the crossroads that they're at, the turns and decisions that they'll make. Lord, but I know that before I came out here, you completely turned my sermon upside down. I believe, Lord Jesus. There's somebody here and you're trying to rewrite their life. Oh God. You're trying to rewrite their life. Satan had a plan before they came in here and it all mapped out just like you've blueprinted our life. Satan is mapped out, planned out, plotted out. And he has them right where he wants them. But tonight, God, we came into a building and we heard the sound of jubilee. And I pray, God, somebody who would might have walked out the door and went the wrong way, I pray tonight they'd be honest enough to surrender and say, I'm coming back to the center of God's will for my life. I'm coming back to the place. And my decisions and my choices are those that are according to God's word. I pray you do it, Holy Spirit. 
come and rewrite a life here tonight. Someone maybe doesn't even know the destruction that's waiting for them just outside, but tonight there's mercy here. I pray you'd accept it, friend. I pray tonight you wouldn't look at it as just a preacher, just another sermon. Oh, it's just another youth service. I want you to look at it as the eyes and the hands of mercy and grace that are reaching out, trying to block you. Trying to stop you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd move upon hearts, Lord. God, if there'd be somebody here tonight, I pray they'd find their way back to Calvary. Back to an old rugged cross. Back to where there's power to forgive, power to cleanse, and power to set free. You could do it tonight, Lord Jesus. In this little simple, humble thought, Lord, something you just placed upon my heart. I pray, God, you'd come and give the increase. Yes, Lord Jesus. Just like the rain, saturate my thirsty soul. Come and fall afresh on me, fill my cup again, heal my heart. And make me whole. I need you now for your spirit out. Lord, I seek you. Help me find you. Again, he 
tonight was this is just not another youth service. God built another wall tonight to block you from hell. I couldn't hardly get past that. He built a wall. You know, it just shows God's love. It just shows God's love. God wants to spend eternity with you so bad that when your free moral agency takes you somewhere it shouldn't go, he builds a wall. I was thinking when he was preaching how, you know, God, God was in this big circle of eternity. 
and he took his finger and he pushed a little dimple. Brother Brandon called that a dimple. He pushed his finger into eternity and made a little dimple and called that time. And by election, he puts you in there. He puts you in there. And he put a piece of himself in you with by election, but yet he allowed you free moral agency. Election will overcome free moral agency every time. Every time. He knows by the choices you make. You go to work, you go to school, and the choices that you make might send you a wrong way. But on Sunday, he has a stonemason come out here and build you a wall. On Wednesday, he has a stonemason come build you a wall. During the week, you go home to stonemasons that build walls. Free moral agency takes you to different places that you shouldn't go, choices you shouldn't make. He loves you so much. He tells mercy and grace you stay attached to them. Don't you leave their side. That's by election. All I got tonight on tonight was how much God loves you. How, do you, how much he loves Samson. The blueprint of your life was already written out. And even in that blueprint, God said it's perfect. The blueprint, God's blueprint was perfect even with all your mistakes. That's grace. That's a perfect definition of grace, brother man. That was, that was wonderful. Just God's grace allowing you free moral agency. And he says, well, I'll put a wall here. That was a bad choice. I'll put a wall here. That was a bad choice. But I still love you with all my heart. That's grace. I'm so thankful for that. If, if anybody wants to, to stay and pray, and we'll, we'll have Brother Jesse sing some songs. You're free to leave. Um, but we're going to sing. We'll pray for you. We'll have Brother Matt pray for you. If you just want to come up and pray, listen, you're going to walk out them doors. And Satan's going to allow you more choices. So you can come in here and you can build some walls yourself. We, we heard a, a sermon last night. The pastor talked to our older youth group. Is encourage yourself. You can encourage yourself in your election. God had the blueprint in my life. If that don't encourage you enough, come up here and build a wall. We'll help you. God bless you. Tonight, we, after we leave, we'll go over here. I think we got food and snacks for you. Tomorrow's night service will be starting at 6. Service will start at 6. Uh, we have activities starting at 12 tomorrow over here in, in the uh, fellowship hall. And you're all welcome. Bring an appetite. God bless you. Faithful Father, enduring friend, your tender mercies like a river with no end, it overwhelms me. sin each time I come into your presence I stand in wonder once again your grace still 
amazes me your love is still a mystery each day half all on my knees is your grace still amazes me your grace still amazes me oh patience Pour it out 
have found For I am nothing I am nothing Without you And all my soul needs Is all your love To cover me So all the world Will see That I am nothing Without you
Faithful and true, nobody. 
Oh uh-huh. 
Let's just uh, say a word of prayer for that right now. Dear Lord, thank you for the tremendous service that we had tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the masterpiece of the sermon that was brought, Lord. Thank you for, your, for taking it and just blessing your people with it, Lord. I pray that we would think on it, Lord, and that you would just keep it in our hearts and keep our minds on your word. Pray that you would be mindful the rest of this evening, Lord, that you would just be in it and be welcome in our and our presence wherever we are. I pray that you'd bless this food, Lord, and, and the ones that prepared it, and each one here that's responsible for taking care of everything this weekend, Lord. I pray that you would just bless your people, and we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Just sing that as we, as we be dismissed. I want what you want for me. It's been.